Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri, and this week I look at Examine Life Part 2. A few weeks ago, we looked at Examine Life Part 1. I'm going to take a look at the second part. We look at Cornel West again, Slavaj Zizek, who's kind of this Eastern European version of Cornel West. Also look at Sonara Taylor and a philosopher named Michael Hart. So if you're familiar with these names, I think you'll enjoy the podcast. If you're not, I think you still will enjoy it because they're engaging with really interesting ideas. I examined their ideas and I also examined the big themes of this documentary. I saw a critique of romanticism and a critique of meaning as really the big themes of this whole documentary. I also saw this question that a lot of philosophers ask, the question being, what's the purpose of philosophy? And in a sense, what's the purpose of life? And I look at that and I try to answer a few of the questions that the philosophers ask in this podcast. So I really appreciate you guys listening. Follow us at at Podcast on Twitter. Also, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating if you can. And leave some comments because it really, really helps our podcast and it draws some positive attention to what we're doing. So get ready for Examine Life Part 2. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. See you soon. Classics Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri, and this week I'm going to look at part two of Examine Life. So more Cornell West, and this week the Eastern European version of Cornell West, Slavaj Zizek. So we'll see what you think about Zizek. He's an interesting guy. He's a little out there, but he definitely appeals to a certain type of person. So before we start, if you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating. We really appreciate your support. So let's get started with the documentary, part two, Examine Life. So basically, this is at around the 45-minute po- point in the documentary. We're introduced to a guy named Michael Hart, and Hart's enjoying a nice row. He's discussing observing revolutions in Latin America in the 1980s, which was kind of a thing uh, where young people, kind of like studying abroad, they would go and study revolutions. Well. As he's studying revolutions and supposedly contributing to them, he had this experience with Latin American revolutionaries who told him it would be best for him to make revolution at home. They basically said, hey, go to the mountains where you're from in America and make revolution. And I think this experience really affected him. It made him rethink the nature of revolution. It made him think about the idea that is he actually helping people when he goes abroad or are they possibly helping him? So I thought that was kind of fascinating. Hart Hart is a fascinating guy. I connected this to sort of like my trips abroad when I uh, when I travel. Sometimes you know you travel and you you think maybe you know you're getting giving something to others, but in reality they're giving something back to you. Or even on another level, your my profession, whether it's coaching or teaching, I think sometimes a teacher thinks they're giving something to the students, which they are, but a lot of times the student is giving something back to the teacher. So it's kind of like this reflection, which is very philosophical, really involves examining yourself, this reflection of what am I giving to others and what are others giving to me? I thought that was pretty cool for for Hart to do that. 
Hart also talks about the nature of revolutions. This is his big topic, dem democracy revolutions, and how they sort of replace one elite with another. His big work is called Empire. So maybe you've heard of that. For me, I, I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. This book didn't really cross my, my list of, of readings, but I looked it up and Empire is basically this idea that power has changed over time. So it's no longer the nation state that's the all powerful that goes around conquering others. That's definitely a factor, but there are other factors. So for example, in the past, maybe the British empire would go around conquering the world. Now you have to look at other actors on the international stage, NGOs, corporations, uh, groups like the United Nations, and of course, nation states, especially the United States. So he's basically saying in his work that we have to understand that politics is a global thing and that it's sort of changed with many actors, not just one nation state. So he sounds a lot like Chomsky to me in certain ways. It sounds like that sort of leftist critique of, of culture, of civilization. So if you're into that, you might like Michael Hart. He ends by saying that it's odd that he's this, this philosopher talking revolution as he's uh, rowing his boat in an aristocratic area, which I actually thought was a good reflection. I think if you like a kind of the kind of philosopher who is sort of observing their own life and saying there's something absurd about it, then I think you might like Michael Hart. And I actually did enjoy his 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 little row and discussion in the documentary. So it, it's it's interesting if you like philosophy. I think you you like Michael Hart. The next philosopher is probably the the heavy hitter in this this part of the documentary, Salvage Zizek. Personally, I had my own Zizek moment because he's a really charismatic guy. And about 10, 12 years ago, I got really into looking at his work and watching his lectures and reading his books. And I think like most people, I didn't really understand everything he was saying, but something about his charisma really got to me. So he's basically like one of these philosophers that might be a little bit more style over substance. And I definitely think there's a little bit of that Cornell West to Zizek. And I also think that there is this element of appealing to young men, probably. Maybe it's because of the language he uses. Maybe it's because of the charisma. I'm not sure, but I definitely think he's appealing to young men who want something that's who want a philosopher that's charismatic. I think another modern version would be Jordan Peterson, you know, that he's a psychologist slash philosopher who, who sort of appeals to, to young men. So I, I, I would put Zizek in that sort of mode. Um, I would say that the opposite of that would be someone like Michael Sandel. So we covered Sandel in our first podcast, What Do We Owe Each Other as Citizens? And Sandel seems to be more like uh, clear arguments, clear examples. And so... There's not a lot of the charisma there, but Sandel is really bringing concrete arguments. As I get older, I think I appreciate that more, but I could also see why people sort of appreciate the Zizek model of philosophy. So the actual discussion here with Zizek on the documentary is a little bit convoluted because he's talking about trash, he's surrounded by garbage, and he's really focusing on environmentalism mainly but he does it in his own Slavaj Zizek kind of confusing way. So he's he's mystified in his, in his opinion by ideology 
and ideology mystifies the real problems of this world. I think he means that, and this is a running theme in the documentary, that ideology, when it's rigid and closed, is, is really, really bad. And like I said, I think it is a running theme in this documentary. I agree with that. I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of ideologies, but I also see ideology as something that can be many things. I mean, you can have democratic ideology. You can have ideology of human rights. That's not bad. So I, I feel a little hesitant to go along with these philosophers when they're critiquing ideology too much because it feels like a simplistic argument. But I definitely get what they're I, I get what they're trying to say. So it is a running critique through the documentary. He then goes on to discuss the temptation of meaning, which I think is a really interesting, interesting idea. So he gives examples like catastrophes, like his example is AIDS. So when the AIDS um, issue hit, what happened? People sought meaning. So they want to blame. They want to say, oh, well, this is because we are being punished. And I think we all know you could see that from when, when a hurricane happens, when an earthquake happens, when a fire happens, people seek meaning. And according to Zizek, we actually prefer meaning, even if that meaning is sort of this idea that like we're being punished, we prefer that over nothing. And so I, I agree, actually. I think this is a fascinating thing to reflect on. Do we prefer that over, over just like, you know, saying like, I don't really know what's going on and being sort of humble about it? I think I prefer the more humble approach to things. So for example, I mean, if a young person gets sick, gets cancer, I mean, are you really gonna try to find too much meaning in that? Or are you gonna say, hey, I don't really know, but this is what happened. It is what it is. And I think maybe it's the psychologically more healthy perspective to just kind of accept it with humility than to just always seek meaning, which is probably something Zizek would agree with. He also criticizes environmentalism a lot. And it's really interesting because I think a lot of people would be surprised by that, but it is sort of a running critique in this documentary of not environmentalism, but of romanticism. And that is sort of how he sees the environmentalists. So he's basically saying that the environmentalists are idealizing the world and they should just accept it. So that's why he's around garbage. He's basically saying, hey, look, there's garbage all around. There's garbage in this world. We need to accept nature. We, we don't need to idealize it. So, and he gives an example of, you know, in your relationship with another person, say husband, wife, do you idealize that person? Because if you do, you're probably on the wrong track. You should actually accept them for who they are. And that's basically what he's saying when it comes to nature, we should be, environmentalists that accept the nature of the world and not make it into a more ideal place than it is. So ideal, idealization basically leads to frustration and you shouldn't look at things with rose colored glasses because it's sort of delusional. So, you know, Zizek is interesting. He, his real focus, if you study Zizek, and I'll probably do another podcast on him because he focuses on a lot of things, but he likes to focus on ideology a lot critique ideology. He likes to look and see the, like, you know, he does this thing where he, he looks at cinema and he, he says, look, this is where you see like Western capitalistic ideology within these various movies. And I think that's kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. And a lot of us don't really look at things that way because 
we tend to look at movies or what's on our television or on our radio and we just sort of passively consume. But what Zizek is saying is we need to think about what is being taught to us through these means of entertainment. And I think that's that's a strength of Zizek and his his work in ideology is is fascinating. And he is an entertaining listen. So that that doesn't hurt, right? The next the next philosopher is Judith Butler and Sonara Taylor. I haven't heard of any of these philosophers before. My my background is more in history. So philosophy isn't always my strength, but I was really moved by this part. And actually I thought it was the strongest part of the documentary. My favorite part was Cornell West because I like West, but the Butler Sonara Taylor part was, in my opinion, very moving and it educated me. And that's, you know, if I can be educated by something, I always feel like I that I connect with that and I appreciate that. So Taylor is in a wheelchair, Sonara Taylor, and she's describing the struggles of being in a wheelchair. I thought this was really powerful, a really powerful segment. She talks about how accessibility leads to acceptance and how in society, you basically need that. If you want disabled people to feel accepted, you need to make sure there's accessibility. I mean, how many people really think about that if they don't live a, dis a life as a disabled individual? I never thought about it, and so, it, but it made a lot of sense. Taylor also discussed how certain actions like if you're in a wheelchair or you can't move your arms, you need to, if you go to a cafe, this is her example, putting a cup of coffee in her mouth to carry it. And she notices people looking at her and being very disgusted that she's putting a cup of coffee in her mouth and holding it with her teeth. And she says, you know, this is discrimination because it's an aversion to how I am. And it makes me really uncomfortable with going out into the world and just engaging with the world. And I mean, you can't help but feel empathy for her when she's talking about that and really get to understand her perspective. To her, society seems to discriminate against the disabled because of two things. One is the lack of aversion that I just mentioned. And the other is a lack of jobs, which again, makes a lot of sense. If you think about jobs, are jobs really catering to people who are disabled? Not very many. And I think what's also fascinating about this argument is you do see it running throughout. So as a theme in this documentary, I think you see this idea. We saw it with Martha, Martha Nussbaum, that a democracy and a capitalistic society can only do so much. But there are people who, who are left out. So, for example, the disabled would be one of them. I never really thought about this, but it's not something I'm proud of because it's just something that I think when you're not disabled, you don't really think about it very much. She then brings up this idea that we all need help. And there's something about, like, if you look at the strong reaction to helping disabled people, let's say, or helping people who need help, she associates it with individualism in American society and how we like to think of ourselves as these rugged individualists. And so when you are around people who do need help, it makes you uncomfortable. And because it makes you uncomfortable, you have this visceral reaction to it because we like to always think of ourselves as capable of doing whatever we want. It's a very, and it's a very Western idea. And I thought that that was really interesting, again, to reflect on and to examine. She gives an example of when she was younger and where she could walk, but she walked um, different. And people would often make comments to her and say, 
well, you know, you're, you're, you walk like a monkey or you walk like this animal. And she would just, you know, be very hurt by those comments. But after she reflected on it over time, she realized that they were just uncomfortable with their reality. So basically that could possibly be them at some point. And that discomfort made them uncomfortable. It made that discomfort made them act in an angry, ridiculous way. And I thought that that was a really, really good reflection. And I could definitely connect that to what I've observed with people. A lot of times when people say or do inappropriate things, it's because they're feeling uncomfortable and they don't really know how to react. So again, I really like this, seg this segment. Um, there's a lot of issues that are mentioned and it's all tied to sort of individualism and our, our need for to believe that we live in an individualistic society where we can do everything on our own. We like to think about that. We like to think of ourselves that way. And it's sort of a question I want to ask you, like are, are these philosophers who are questioning individualism, is that something that resonates or is it something that doesn't resonate? Because I know in American culture, a very libertarian culture, we don't like to think about those things. So the last philosopher who is, in my opinion, you know, one of the more interesting ones is Cornell West. And I did an episode on West and I saw that there was a strong reaction to that and people like to listen to it. So I think that's, I think he's a popular guy. Cornell West is, is the, the closer in the film. So the last segment of West, it de definitely did feel more grounded than the first segment where he's kind of just free associating. He starts by critiquing romanticism which runs throughout this final segment. And I think it runs throughout this film. You see it with Zizek, you see it with West. He quotes Beethoven and he says, according to Beethoven, look at the world in all of its darkness and evil and still love it. So that's kind of a summary of West. He's basically saying, look at the darkness, look at the, look at the garbage as, as Zizek would say, but still embrace it and love it. And, I think it's really interesting because West also always refers to blues music and that how he's a blues man and how blues music is kind of like this reflection of his own philosophy because it is embracing the 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 nature of the world, the true nature of the world. So he, he kind of makes this point that if you're depressed with catastrophe, then it's probably, and this is interesting, I never really thought about it this way, but it's probably because you are obsessed with harmony. So that's interesting. Again, if you if you feel like, you know, the world is catastrophic and it's kind of depressing, then it's probably because of your obsession with harmony. So my initial thought was, my connection to this was, in my profession in teaching, I've seen many people who go into the profession and we have like a 50% turnover rate. And one thing I always did sort of as a protection was to not romanticize the job, just to, I, I love my job. I really do, but not to feel like, oh, this is my calling. This is, you know, what I was born to do. I've always approached it like, no, I like to just get better at my craft, improve on it and be very practical about it. And I've noticed that whether it was through my credential program many years ago, or to this day where I see new teachers, one thing that I've noticed really affect sort of the turnover rate is when people are, viewing it as a calling or in West's words, being too romantic about it. And I think romanticism can really affect people. It can make people a little 
disappointed. And I think we need to be careful. But if you think about Hollywood films, if you think about our culture, it's a very romantic culture. So it's not surprising that these philosophers are sort of following this Socratic tradition of questioning the cultural norms. So he goes on to say that there is this idea of time that the romantics sort of are, are really nervous about. And my guess is because with time comes age. And he, he basically argues we should be grateful for time. We shouldn't be hesitant to embrace time and embrace aging. And I thought that that was a big point in his critique of romanticism. He also says, and I think we do this with history a lot that, and I do this, I know when I teach, is that one of the responses to romanticism is to have a more critical view of, of things, of history, of our society, which is, a, I think, a really strong argument for looking at things critically. So it's like, do you want to talk about George Washington chopping down a cherry tree and being the, you know, never telling a lie or Abraham Lincoln never telling a lie or whoever never telling a lie? Or do you want to be more critical and come closer to the truth of reality? I think that that's a really interesting debate. And I think while we, a lot of us do prefer a romantic view of things because it makes life feel better, in reality, it may not make life feel better, you know, over the long run. So I identified with this romantic sort of critique. And I also thought about romantic nationalism. If you really study like the 19th to 20th century, romantic nationalism destroyed so many people. It led to world wars. It led to horrible events. And so romanticism can be very dangerous if you really study the history of it and you connect it to like nationalism. So I think that that's a strong argument against romanticism as well. So... The documentary sort of ends with this question that's asked to West. And the question is, is it philosophy's duty to answer the question, how do you live a meaningful life? West doesn't really give a, a satisfying answer, in my opinion. He says, yes, but it's a struggle. And he kind of leaves it at that. And then he leaves and they show West getting greeted by a student to show, sort of show his celebrity status. But it is the question that they they leave us with. Is it the obligation or duty of philosophy to answer this question. How do you live a meaningful life? To me, I think it's a great way to engage with philosophy. I, I prefer to engage with philosophy like that. But do I think it's the duty of philosophy? No, that's my opinion. I don't think it's the duty of philosophy, but I like to engage with it in that way. And I think it becomes more meaningful when you engage with a lot of subjects, even history, which I teach, and psychology in those ways. Like, because if it, it can help you in a practical way if you do that. So I think that's interesting. I noticed that, you know, my conclusion of this documentary is I think it's it's really good. I think it's an interesting and fascinating discussion about ideas. I think it's an introduction to philosophers like Nussbaum, West, Zizek, Kwame Anthony Apaya. Um, he's one of my favorites as well. So it's a good introduction to a lot of philosophers that the general audience has never heard of. And I know that for me, like Apaya, his work, I was introduced to it about a decade ago through the documentary. And I started, I read his book, Cosmopolitanism, and I really liked it. So I think there's a lot to be said of this documentary as an introduction to these very impressive philosophers. Some of the themes I saw in this documentary was a critique of romanticism, a critique of meaning, seeking too much meaning, an idea that philosophy can come in many forms. 
And I thought that th those were the, those were my takeaways. I'm sure there were more, but like I said, this is a you know it's a documentary that I think everyone can watch. It's good for the general viewership. And next week, I'm going to be changing it up a little bit, going into an article about Muhammad Ali and his sort of influence in life. And when I think about Ali, it does make me think about Cornell West a lot because he sort of engaged through his profession of boxing and his protest of the Vietnam War. He engaged in that nitty gritty of things and uh, that blues approach to, to life. So I really appreciate you listening and, st and staying with me on this podcast. And, you know, I'm going to be producing one per week that you can find us at at class X podcast on Twitter, please subscribe. And again, thanks for listening. I hope you can go and watch the documentary and learn something about this, uh, this idea of living and examine life. So again, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. See you next week.